Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. wondering why I've picked what some would call a very morbid text for a day about justifying grace, but the truth is that this passage in all four Gospels is where justifying grace hinges. Without Christ's offering on the cross for us, there is no justifying grace. And as we've been journeying through the plethora of goodness that is Methodism, in my humble opinion. We started off with our sacraments, baptism and Holy Communion, and then last week we spoke about prevenient grace, that grace that comes before. And now we are at the crescendo of God's movement of grace, justifying grace. It's that time when we discover for ourselves that nothing, nothing we think or say or do can keep us from God's love because God is willing to forgive us even our most heinous thoughts, words, and deeds. If we want to be forgiven, God says, I have done it. It is finished. It is ours. And so justifying grace is an incredible moment. We see it in people during the sacraments, that moment when you are actually cleansed, when I am applying water to the baby's head, assuming that it's not freezing cold water, there's this moment where I'm looking into the face of someone who is trying to fathom what is going on, trying to figure out what's going on, and is amazed and both disturbed. And at the same time, because while a child doesn't understand what we're doing, the child can feel something happening. And grace is just like that. Even when we don't understand, we can feel something is at work, something is moving. And finally, as we start coming to the communion table, we start to discover this for ourselves as children, as teenagers, and as adults. We come here, and that's why so many times as I'm breaking the bread and giving it to people, they come forward with tears in their eyes. For in that moment, something powerful and profound is happening. God's grace is infusing their beings. And maybe for the first time in forever, we understand that we are God's children and that God has claimed us despite everything we have ever done and is promising us that in spite of everything we ever will do, that this grace is ours. It's a powerful moment. And if you listen to the words of our liturgy at communion, you'll hear the moment in which we invoke justifying grace. It comes after the invitation, and then we pray corporately about our sins. Merciful God, forgive us. And then there's this moment where we're supposed to offer up the personal things that we have done, the things that we as individuals have said and thought and enacted that have brought shame to the name of Jesus Christ instead of power and glory and gratitude. And so we share those things. And then when that's over, I say to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven and you say it back to me. And in that moment, we are justified. 
We have confessed our sins. We have repented. And God has responded with forgiveness. I wasn't kidding when I told the kids that there's something powerful about a Jesus bobblehead that says, yes. Can I be forgiven what I said? Yes. Can you forgive me for these thoughts and these feelings that I have? Yes. God, do you remember that thing that I did in sixth grade and I'm still too embarrassed to talk about it? Yes. Yes. There is nothing that you can do for which Jesus is not willing to grant you the forgiveness born of the blood of the cross. It is ours. And no one can take it away. That's almost more important nowadays than the fact that it's yours to begin with. And so as I've been pondering just how necessary this grace is, and while you think it would be a given, justifying grace ace in the hole. I'm ordained. I should know all about this. And while I do know about it, our changing context in the world makes me reflect upon it differently. This week, I've been preparing for this youth meeting that's going to happen today at two o'clock. And originally, we had some pretty benign topic planned for the kids, and we were going to do some games and talk about this little topic and have some small group reflection and have a good time and eat some snacks. And then reality struck Crozet. And a little less than a month ago, a 19-year-old took his life. And the entire community wrestled with that. And so we felt that it was time for us to talk about this in a formal way, especially with a demographic that is deeply impacted by suicide. And so I've been preparing for this. I've been immersing myself in statistics and in all kinds of therapeutic devices, everything that I can do, including having now read a book called 13 Reasons Why, where a young college student, I mean, a young high school student conveys 13 reasons why she committed suicide, which really equate to 13 people. Why? And then Netflix made it into a 13 show a 13-session show, and so I was binge-watching that this week. And that was very difficult for me because normally when I'm binge-watching, it's on things about, like, dragons and anime. And this was very dark, and it was very disturbing. And I thought to myself watching this, you know, I thought my peers were cruel in high school. The 90s have got nothing on today. And the level at which we can be cruel to one another as human beings. I mean, it's bad enough when the hormones in your brain and in your body are in flux constantly. It's bad enough when you're trying to figure out who you are and what you're supposed to be in this world because now they pretty much want you to declare if you're pre-med in middle school. It's bad enough. But let's add on top of that the ever-looming possibility of social rejection and shaming and stigma. Let's pile that on. In addition to four AP classes and having to take standardized tests that will determine whether or not you can eat for the rest of your life. Let's pile this onto our kids. And so as I'm watching this and I'm just overwhelmed with, in some cases, the depravity of humanity, it occurred to me that we have shown our children and our teenagers how to behave. Because just when I thought I couldn't take this anymore and let me take a rest from the Netflix series and I would turn on the news, oh, that's where they got it. 
the way we treat each other as adults? Do you realize how much we lord over one another our mistakes? The fact that we make each other feel horrific. And I went to high school before someone could Snapchat what you were doing and post it on the internet forever. And nowadays, every mistake, every bad look on the face, every ridiculous thing that we all sometimes say stains you for life. But I have trouble with that because I believe in a Savior who cleanses me for life. I believe in a Lord who says that there is no stain except the purity of my love for you. And yet we have allowed our culture, which has now trickled down at an alarming effect, to permeate and pervert our society. I'm watching and listening, and then I go on Facebook, and I start perusing all different Facebook pages of people that I know and love and I pray for routinely, and I see it. It's not just in the show. It's not poetic license to sell books. It's reality for so many young adults. And as I'm reading statistics about what suicide has done in our country, I'm overwhelmed that in the last 15 years, the rate of suicide has climbed almost a full 25%. A full 25%. And unless it's an unintended injury, the only thing that's killing more young people between the ages of 15 and 24 is suicide. And I know that there's this, always this knee-jerk reaction in the church and, and, and among adults to say, well, we just need to tell them that's wrong. Okay. I don't think anybody wants anybody to take their life. I don't think anybody's a proponent of that. However, instead, can we as the church turn it around to say, can we mourn for a moment that there are people in our midst who are so engulfed in darkness and depression and hopelessness, that the best possible option is to tap out. The best way to find healing and wholeness is to end it all. Instead of the message of Jesus Christ, which is, in the depths and in the darkness, I am with you. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you shall not fear, for I am with you. And not only am I with you, says Jesus, but I have sent my people to be with you. And I think about all of those young people, those bright stars that haven't fully eclipsed the rest of us yet. And I think about how they didn't feel that there was anybody with them, much less for them. And I'm rocked to my core to go, where was I? Where were we in their moment of need, in their moment of darkness? And when we look back on the text for today, this is absolutely, without a doubt, my most passionately favorite description of the crucifixion. And I know that sounds bizarre, to have a favorite depiction of the, of the crucifixion, because I, like everybody else, would love to be able to gloss over that. But the truth is that we need that moment. We need to be reminded that not only did Jesus go through that kind of darkness, but we still do. 
and there are people in our midst who are doing that, where the rest of us feel like it's high noon and darkness has come over the land for certain people, and they are dwelling in darkness. And go back and look at the way people are acting. Most of us don't want to talk about it, that that glossing that we want to do over the crucifixion. And yet, did you pay attention to how people are behaving? The vast majority of people are not making fun of Jesus. It's only a few. A few privileged, popular people who are making fun of Jesus. It's the priests and the scribes and the soldiers. They're doing it. And then all of the other people, the text even tells us, they're all watching. They see it, they hear it, they're in the midst of it, but they do nothing. And despite all of that, Jesus still prays for all of them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. And there in the midst of his dying, his agonizing six hours of dying, starting at nine o'clock and ending at three, He has this encounter with these two criminals that are mounted to the sides of him. And they're all up there on their crosses, slowly dying. And one of them decides to do what everybody else is doing and join in and making fun of Jesus. And there in the midst of his own pain and suffering and death, the other criminal says, leave him alone. We deserve this. And he doesn't deserve this. Leave him alone. It is the most drastic and dramatic portrayal of bullying in all of Scripture. That at the moment of our Savior's most profound pain, weakness, and vulnerability, he's being bullied. And someone who is not Jesus Christ, someone who is not perfect, someone who's been condemned to death, for a life of crime and sin, dares to stand up for our Lord. Leave him alone. Jesus didn't die alone on that cross because at least one person was willing to stick up for our Lord and Savior. It's a message to us. We believe in grace. We believe that we can be forgiven. I don't think there's anything that we want to believe more than the fact that our past is not our future. That we are not relegated to an eternity of suffering and damnation because of the awful things that we have done. We want to believe. And we bury them in the recesses of our mind and we push them way down until we can't even feel nauseous about their presence anymore. We're just numb to them. And we just hope and pray that they will never erupt back into our lives and no one will ever find out. Except that we live in the real world where secrets come out. And when a secret comes out, our reaction cannot be to shame people. Our reaction cannot be to stigmatize them. And make them feel like they are only the culmination of every bad mistake, misjudgment, poor judgment they have ever made. We cannot allow this cultural practice to continue. Instead, we need to be those who model grace first and foremost. Because one of the things that is pounded over and over in the book and in the TV show, 13 Reasons Why, 
is that all of these young people, these bright, incredible people, are using words to categorize and label one another. And they're not making these words up. This isn't slang. They're words that they have been taught for generations. They're words that we have been ha just hailing and throwing at people like Mary Magdalene for generations. And even now, we don't realize in the discourse within the church some of the things we say. I had an entire course in seminary on Mary Magdalene. Do you know how much we actually know about Mary Magdalene? Nothing. She was possessed by multiple spirits. Jesus cleansed her. She's from a town called Magdalena. The end. But I'm sure that you can tell me all kinds of things that we know about Mary Magdalene. And words will be tossed out. Words like whore, prostitute, redheaded. Because we have allowed the church ourselves, the body of Christ, to label and stigmatize one of our own. This is not who Jesus died for us to be. We have to decide here and now that everything we say and do will no longer reflect this culture and this world, but instead it will reflect nothing if not the grace of Jesus Christ. That is our choice. And we make that choice when we make political commentary. We make that choice when we look at other people in the restaurant. We make that choice when we're talking about our neighbors, our family members, our friends. We make that choice. And people are listening. This day and age, they're probably recording. And I would hate to be the culmination of every dumb thing I've ever said. And there's been a lot of them. Instead, I love the fact that even in less than a year, all the dumb things that I have said to you, you have forgiven me, hopefully. And that you are letting me try to be better. I told the children it's about the yeses and the noes. The no is no, you can't say that, Sarah. No, you can't, you can't do that, Sarah. No, that was not a good idea, Sarah. But the yes is, we forgive you. We want you to try again. Get better. Get healthier. Get more whole. Show more grace. Do better. We live in a world that constantly tells our most fragile, no, you cannot be forgiven. No, you are never going to get rid of that label. No, you'll go to college and you'll still be that person. And after you get out of college, your boss will find out. It's the world we live in. And that's not just, it's not loving, it's not of God. And so we who are of the body of Christ decide that we will change the way we talk and the way we act and the way we reach out lovingly to others. That in their darkness we will travel with them. We will walk in the valley of the shadow of death with them. So they are not alone. We will share with them the glory of hope. Because we don't mourn like those who have no hope. 
And that hope isn't a precious commodity that I only have for me and my chosen few friends and family. Instead, hope is more abundant than air. And we share it, and we pour it out, and we instill it, and we grow it, and we nurture it. So that in 15 years, they'll look back and God help us, may they say, the rate at which people drowning in hopelessness are taking their own lives has dropped 25%. Because if you don't believe that you have that kind of power, then I really am failing. I cannot tell you the number of testimonies I have read about people who felt that there was nowhere for them to go when they were suffering, that there was no safe place for them to find sanctuary from the barrage of the bullies and the culture. And I'm thinking to myself, is this not a sanctuary? Is this not the house of God? Are we not the people of Jesus Christ who climbed up onto a cross and died so that we never will have to? Instead, we have taken that grace for granted. And too often, we have forgotten that there are people who don't know about it. And we have let them languish. And unfortunately, all too many have perished, never hearing about that kind of love. It makes a difference. The last thing that I read that I'm still not sure I fully comprehend is that when you look at how much we spend every year treating people who have attempted suicide, it's over $50 billion in medical care alone. $50 billion. And I think to myself, I'm not even sure I can fathom that kind of money. But imagine if instead of being a reactive culture, we were more proactive. And we took that kind of money and we taught people that therapy is for healthy people. That normal human beings go through periods of darkness and depression. And you're not deficient because you do. If we let people know that pursuing your mental health is just as important as going to the gym. If we started telling people that you are going to have moments of doubt, but we are here for you. You are going to have times where you question your worth and your value, but it is infinite. And just as God has accepted us, we take you just as you are. And we hope and pray and believe that God will make all of us better through this incredible love and grace that passes through our midst. That, I believe, is what Jesus was showing us in our scripture. That even in the darkest moments, we can see glimpses of not our humanity, but that divine spark that was there at our very beginning. That divinity is revealed in compassion and mercy, kindness and love. That is what justifying grace is all about. And may we become a people who not only celebrate our own encounters with justifying grace, but we facilitate and encourage them for all of God's people, no matter how dark or light their days are. May it be so.
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.